Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D-R-O-B-O dot com slash twip. This week on the show, more news from Photokina, Adobe releases CS4, and making movies with the Mark II. Right here on This Week in Photography, number 49. Hey everybody, we're back for another episode of This Week in Photography, and uh, we are here with uh, pretty much our the uh, usual suspects here. Coming in from Gig Harbor, we've got Scott Bourne. Hey, Scott. Hey, I, I almost wasn't from Gig Harbor. I literally just drove in from the Tetons. I was in Missoula, Montana this morning. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, we did the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop, and the four amateurs who won the contest went and just shot their brains out, and it was a great time. When we got there, it was just glorious weather, fall colors. Oh, I was in nature, the, uh, and now I'm not. Uh, yeah, some of them are up on my Fotrade account. Okay, it's uh, fotrade.com slash scottborn. And we can, uh, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes, And uh, but it sounds awesome, so uh, we'll definitely want to check that out. And we gave away about $25,000 worth of stuff over the week, too. Nice. That always that always makes the photography more fun. With yeah, the students kept saying, and they gave me stuff, and they gave me stuff, and they gave me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was just going to go, but then they gave me stuff. Yeah, so yeah we're going to open that up next week for the next one, which is uh, going to be in January in, in Yosemite. So everybody, nice. pay attention and watch for that. Fantastic. Coming in from Seattle, we have uh, Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. I'm actually in Hermosa Beach today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't win. Coming in from Redondo Beach, Ron <laughs> Brinkman. Hermosa Beach. No, so, so what's going on in Hermosa? Now, are you are you cleaning up the details? Is that the deal? <laughs> I just came back for the weekend, you know, enjoy. They fired the, you, didn't they? They just said, you know what? <laughs> we're I know done. come all the way out here, but I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go. No, I, you know, I, st- I still keep my place down in Hermosa to escape to the sunshine as the Seattle weather starts to roll in. <laughs> so, so and, uh, the fact that we're recording this on a weekend instead of uh, during the week uh-huh. is part of the reason why I'm down here. So I see. Very, very good. And uh, coming in from somewhere in California, I'm playing it safe here, <laughs> is uh, Fred John- Frederick Johnson. Fred? Actually, I'm in Nevada right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I am in San Jose, California today. How's it going? In San- is it sunny in San Jose? It is amazing down here. I, uh, a couple friends of, and, and myself went on a little photo walk today down yes. in beautiful Saratoga. Ooh. You know, it, it's so nice to just hang out and have coffee and shoot every now and then. So, you know, it was a good day. Awesome. Very, very good. So we've got um, we've got a lot of stuff, uh, you know, of course, Photokino. So we're going to continue that this week. Um, just a, re- a quick reminder that we still have the new linking contest going on. This is a link to twipphoto.com. And you can win a prize package worth more than $700. Scott, do you want to give anybody, give people the details? Uh, yeah, it's worth almost $1,000, actually. Um, VMware Fusion, a copy of Adobe Lightroom, a copy of Aperture, a pair of JBL Reference 220 earphones, an Adobe Ball Cap, a couple of my books, On One Software Essentials Version 2 for Elements. Uh, we have a small Canon camera gadget bag, a RhinoSkin iPod case, and a copy of DV Matt from PixelCore. SCADs. SCADs of stuff. That's all. And we're going to give this away on October 30th, so you need to link to us now to be in the, in the hunt. <laughs> Now, how do, how do you measure the linking? We have a thing called a referral log, uh-huh. which is kept track of by our HTTP server, and it shows every link that comes into the site. And we simply basically take all that data out, and we sort of spin it on a virtual uh, wheel, and we randomly stick our thumb on one of the URLs, and that's the winner. Excellent. So make sure to link to uh, twipphoto.com. Here in the news, uh, of course, we're going to be talking about Photokina, so the the news is going to be a little weird today because we have a couple 
of things to talk about in what we would consider the official news. And then we're going to be talking about Photokino, which is really more news. Uh, but one of the, the important things for me anyway that happened uh, this week is Photoshop CS4 was officially unveiled. Um, uh, does anyone want to add some detail to the <laughs> CS4? Who knows uh, something about that? Hmm. Uh, let's let's see. See. Is anybody here, anybody here hmm. remotely associated with Adobe let's that could see. help us with this? Um, I, I, I could throw a couple of words in about that. Yeah, and, but it wasn't just Photoshop, Alex. It was the entire creative suite that got revved to CS4. Yeah. So. yeah. But, but we were talking design about those guys here, so so that's the uh, and it is it is. I think this is the first time Adobe's done that, right? It's the first time that Adobe's done the, all the CS suites, Mac and PC, all at yep. the same time. Absolutely, and this is the the biggest launch ever for the company, so it was uh, pretty exciting. We did an online um, release with the with the CEO of the company and and Johnny Loyacano, the uh, the senior vice president of the uh, creative uh, services business unit, and we had over two hundred thousand people log on simultaneously to watch the stream so it was it's pretty interesting it's uh and it's so far the articles have been overwhelmingly positive so i think uh i think we're doing good so far the, the photo, photoshop i know um uh it looks like it has uh it, it looks like it i only say that because i don't you know i don't have it yet but um uh hint 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I don't have it. Well, you know, I have it, but we don't have any shipping copies yet either. It actually will become available sometime next month. Yeah. So a Photoshop uh, CS4, I think, which is most pertinent to most of our uh, listeners, um, looks like an amazing update. Uh, you know, I think that sometimes you look at Photoshop updates and you go, eh, I don't know if I... I really need to move up, and and I think that there are some incredible uh, you know updates to Photoshop. Uh, being able to import you know OBJ mo models really straight in um, to Photoshop, and that's more my end of things. Um, but also being able to, I mean, the the one that's just like magic is the. Uh, the smart scale, the yeah, content aware scaling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and I were talking about that before. It's you know you have you're to see like, a demo. You you're like you're like <laughs> how did that work? Like how did the computer know not to stretch my subject and to stretch the background? It yeah. So if you want something to be sixteen by nine, but you shot it in you know two two by three or whatever it is, and you stretch it, it it just figures out, oh, I shouldn't stretch these things, but I should stretch these things. And no one's going to notice if I stretch these things. And it and it works. It's Hey, Alex, did you, did you get a look at the, uh, the text-to-speech, or not the text-to-speech, but the, uh, the, the uh, algorithm in there that, that pulls text out of uh, spoken word soundtracks and After Effects yeah. in Premiere Pro? Well, the, 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 the big thing that I think Adobe has, I mean, in this release for CS4, not, not so much for photographers, but I think for media professionals, which I think a lot of them are listening, is the thing that they've really taken a lead on, and I think that Apple's going to have to respond to, is an incredible focus on metadata. So uh, metadata is going to be part, and we talked a little bit about this on MacBreak Weekly, so I'm not going to belabor it too much, but the, the ability to um, have metadata from the time you're capturing uh, with on location uh, to all the way through to having it embedded into Flash and being able to have all of that flowing through and the speech-to-text stuff is very, very, very impressive. What Essentially, what, what happens is, is that you're able to, um, and it took me a little while. When Adobe talked about this a little bit at NAB, and I, you know, it took me a little while to get my head around it because I saw it, and I was like, ah, I'm not that interested in that. It doesn't really matter. You know, but I do visual effects mostly. But when I started thinking about, we, we were shooting some documentary work, and I was trying to find where the person said, you know, was talking about a specific element. And it was taking me forever, and I suddenly realized, oh, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> Me sitting there with 40 hours of footage and I need to find a comment and I need to be able to search for it and just have it show me where that is. And so as a uh, documentary, uh, if you're doing documentaries or if you have a lot of content, you want to find that specific element. It's not doing a transcript. It's not that good, um, but it is doing enough where it gets you enough detail that you can quickly find your way around uh, a lot of raw footage or specifically within a timeline to get exactly to what you're looking for. More importantly, you can take all that data and you're going to be able to embed it into Flash. We've already seen Adobe talking about that, um, getting the, uh, being able to make it Googleable. That's a new word, by the way. I'm, that I'm that I'm, I'm starting out. Googleable. It's not just googling it. It's googleable, and uh, so it'll be googleable, and uh, and you will be able to uh, search it in Flash. You know, based on the content that's there, which is kind of the holy grail for a lot of videos. So, so my uh, question is, you know, with with all of this, uh, all of these, you know, still cameras, DSLRs, even starting to have sound capabilities. Right. You know, when are we going to be able to talk as we're taking pictures and be able to tag stuff that way? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could do that? 
I think it didn't didn't. Like some Frederick holding back. That's all I gotta say. Hey, I've, I've been back. watching politics a lot. I know how to speak and not say anything. So. <laughs> no, Although, yeah, I mean, exactly. some of some of it does rely on the cameras still supporting that because I don't, I don't, you know, at least on my, my Canon, I can't be sort of doing a running commentary while I'm taking still photos. Right, but but cameras like say the the D three or the D seven hundred, you can take a shot and then hit the little microphone button and record an audio caption that's right. attached to that image. Yep, and that would and be very useful. If you Lightroom actually supports that right now, so you can click on that and actually, yeah, yeah, it's in there. It doesn't support the the uh, the the you know Text, extracting text, yeah, yeah extracting the, the the actual copy out of it, but you can actually you know get to your captions from within Lightroom. Of course, if you're wandering around uh, as a tourist and doing that, people are going to think you're Rain Man. But it's uh, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm in Union Square. I'm definitely definitely in Union Square, and there's a uh, <laughs> definitely 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 <laughs> in Union Square. So um, so yeah, no, it, it, so I think that that the the speech recognition stuff that Adobe's working on, I think we're going to see permeate into a lot of different things, and I think it's very exciting. There's a little bit of um, a uh, the, the only hubbub I think the, really the only thing that we've had see, seen people really complaining about is the fact that the OS 10 version is not 64 bit. Uh-huh. So that is the one thing that we're starting that we've seen a little bit of uh, pushback on uh, Mac users being frustrated that there's a 64 bit in Windows. Uh, this has mostly to do with the difference between you know Adobe not being able to get everything into Cocoa. I don't know it, whether they're going to. Yeah, I think uh, and John Knack, he's the uh, the principal product manager for Photoshop. I think he did a little write-up on his blog about the reasoning behind why that is and timing and all that stuff. So should, if anyone's interested in that, they should head over there and check it out. Yeah, So it's uh, but that, that's been the only pushback uh, so far that I've seen. I think it's a... Uh, a very exciting um, you know, update across the board. And one of the things I think we, we're definitely seeing is a real integration, more f- uh, the most complete integration so far between the macro, Macromedia products and the, and the Adobe products where you're kind of seeing a unified front rather than kind of a, a bunch of pieces that are all cobbled together. Right. So, um, so anyway, so definitely check it out. Um, uh, is there a demo going to be up? Do, do we know? Is there, is there a Photoshop CS4 demo? available? Uh, you know what? Um, I'm embarrassed that I don't know if we're going to have a demo for that or not, but I will find out and we can uh, post it on the blog. Great. Great. But also, you know, Alex, the other thing, just real quick, is uh, if folks are interested in learning what the, the new features are inside the uh, the suite, you can head over to tv.adobe.com. There's a, a bunch of videos up there that sort of walk through every new corner of the applications. Perfect. And as soon as, as, soon as I get a copy... Um, <laughs> You are the master of subtlety, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm excited. One of the things that I want to cover is uh, is a lot of the higher end features. So there's a lot of stuff in extended and a lot of the you know 3D features and stuff like that. That those are the things that that I think that aren't going to be covered in a lot of other places as effectively. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of guys that are really into f- photography doesn't don't get into some of those features, and, I, and I'm looking forward to showing those off because they uh, they're very powerful. And um, you know, I think that the 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 beginning of what we're seeing with 3D and Photoshop, uh, being able to really uh, bring objects in and manipulate them more and more effectively in Photoshop is going to create a new uh, world of clip art. You know, where you're not buying photog- photographs of a phone or a camera or whatever, you're buying the 3D model and able to relight it and reposition it within a scene. And for advertising and PR, I think that's going to be a big deal. Absolutely. So, um, also in the news, we have uh, images for conservation winning uh, winning images posted. So, this is the Images for Conservation Fund, and it's a nonprofit that creates sustainable development for rural communities through the establishment and prosperity of the private lands, nature, photo, tourism industry. Uh, nature photography uh, has a unique ability to preserve the habitat permanently uh, by making it profitable. So these guys, uh, this was on, this is um, we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, this is something that uh, Ron Rob Galbraith uh, put on his uh, site. So you definitely want to uh, check that out. It's basically um, just a bunch of really really cool nature photos. It's pretty uh, <laughs> it's pretty mesmerizing. Some of them on there. Yeah, definitely. So definitely check that out. Also, uh, Canon has uh, posted unedited video clips from the uh, 5D Mark II. Um, These are three um, unedited, direct-from-the-camera video clips recorded with a pre-production. Now, this is stuff during the making of Reverie, and and we're going to put a link to Reverie uh, in the show notes. Uh, I have to admit that that movie was pretty much the, the last straw for me to decide to stay with Canon. 
Now that's, this is this is. I'm excited to talk about this, Alex, because you know more about video than most anybody I know. So, I, what I want to know is, you know, how does that video compare with what we would get out of a similarly priced, dedicated video camera? Well, no. Well, I, I think it's better. I mean, for a similarly priced, when you're looking at a body at twenty six hundred dollars, when you look at what kind of camera you can buy for twenty six hundred dollars. Um, uh, I don't think you're going to find a camera that shoots video that at that quality. Now, is there is there a problem price. with it being 30 frames per second instead of 24? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know the thing is is that's a firmware issue, and you know, and I think that people who are hopefully. what it hopefully is firmware. You know, it's, it's a firmware issue for hopefully a firmware issue for going down to 24. But you know, some video cameras can go up from 24 too, or you know, up from 30. So I mean, that, you know, it's it's not a direct replacement for a lot of video cameras for a number of reasons but you know, like you said for the price it, and you know the fact that you can put just awesome lenses on it I think that outweighs a lot of these other considerations yeah when you you're not going to get that there's no way to get to that quality of an image because really what you would do uh, the way I would get there, uh, most likely, if I was going to use video cameras, and, and it, it would be very close to the same price, to be honest, um, but it would be a lot more uh, bulky. Uh, I would get an HV20 or HV30 or a Vixia or whatever, and I'd put it on a Red Rocks Micro, uh, which is a spinning glass, and it and allows you to put regular lenses on, and it has the same depth of field as a 35 millimeter. And, you know, so this Red Rocks Micro would do that, and the Red Rocks is going to cost, the, the, the camera will cost me 1000 the Red Rocks will cost me fifteen hundred or so, um, and I so I'd be in the same price range, and I'd and I'd have this this cool little uh, system. And there are some advantages to the Red Rocks that I'd be able to have a what's called a you know a, a whip to do the um, to do uh, to change um, different you know to change the focus from you know remotely and so on and so forth. But all of that stuff could theoretically be put onto your camera. In fact, uh, our site of the week uh, to, to give you a good idea what that would look like. Um, our site of the week this week is pro is um, is ProLost, and actually Stu Mashowitz talks about ProLost. By the way, is is just a site you have to have linked. You, you should always be uh, getting the updates from Stu. Um, Stu is of, of course the author of the DV Rebels Guide. He's also the chief technical officer of uh, of the orphanage, and um, he was my old office mate at uh, ILM and. Uh, um, Stu put a, has a great post, and I mean, as I said, the site in general. This is our site of the week, and it's definitely something that you should um, uh, subscribe to the RSS feed. Make sure you know when Stu's uh, dishing out the love. Um, but the uh, the thing to look at is a great post here is what should a new the, what should a movie camera look like? And he's got the Red Rocks Micro bottom, you know, the uh, the kind of the bottom part of the Red Rocks Micro <laughs> with a Canon, uh, you know, with a Canon on it with the lens and. And I have to admit, I I would love to go uh, try shooting like that. <laughs> so, so what I want to find out now is, um, is there any limitation on how long the video can be? Yes, from 12 the, minutes. 12 minutes. Now, how does that what impact you compared to using a real video camera? Well, here's the deal is that it depends on how you shoot. Um, the uh, Now, there's other there's other limitations. And, and something that I – and I don't – one of the things I've been wanting to test the Nikons with uh, and also test the, um, the Canon with uh, here is – uh, what happens when you take the HDMI out of the camera? Because so far, everything that I've seen coming out of the HDMI has all the data in it. You know, so all the data about the lens information and everything else, it's really seen as, a, oh, we're going to give you HDMI out so that you can have a big focus point or, or a big display of what you're shooting. But what I haven't seen is them just filling the screen with, filling the HDMI, filling the screen with the output, because I'm guessing... Uh, my guess is is that if they did that, uh, what you'd end up with is 422 uncompressed HD coming out of these little cameras um, if they just flip that switch. I don't know why they wouldn't flip the switch, but maybe they just don't realize that people would really like to have that. Because if you did that, that is a, ooh, that's a game changer. Because now you have the real lenses, you have really high quality video coming out of these cameras. Um, it would, that would be a huge deal. Um, so is the 12, is the 12 minutes li- uh, limited to the memory card size? Um, you know, what I've seen so far is that they've said that it, there's a variety of reasons it could be 12 gigs um, it, it, or 12 megs. I'm sorry, 12 minutes is uh, it could be a file size limit based on the, the OS that they're using to write um, because I, I believe there's a four gigabyte file size. I don't and I and I, I want to say that if we will correct this in the future, but that's what I've seen everywhere is a 12 minute, 12 minute uh, limit. I have to admit, for most of the stuff that I shoot, 12 minutes is not a big deal because we tend to shoot in small clips, um, small pieces. Uh, most Mac breaks, for instance, are all you know less than 12 minutes. Most of the TWIP 
videos that we that we put up in the past are mo- less than 12 minutes. So, you know, if I was doing interviews, um, you know, and I'm going to be, it looks like, I mean, I'm hoping to get one of these. It looks like I may be in Japan for a month um, shooting and uh, I'll be shooting behind the scenes. And what I'm excited about is the idea of being able to uh, just switch over to video and shoot video behind the scenes without having to pull out another camera or carry another camera around. That's the big thing for me. And I think that's going to be the thing that we're going to see a lot of. Um, uh, the it, You know, it looks a little bit compressed, but as I said, for the price, I think it's an excellent... Uh, it's an excellent value, um, you know, for the kind of money you're paying for that, uh, you know, for not having a dedicated camera. Another thing that I think is interesting is that the that the can this one has a has an audio in, so it's got an eighth inch jack in. Um, does the does does the D3 or D700 have an eighth inch jack in? No, uh, no, it doesn't. Right. So so and here's why for our listeners why that matters is now you can take a uh, a Beach Tech <laughs> and pop it on. And I think Scott you use a different. No, we, we, there's a, yeah, it's the same basic thing though. It, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a little box that, that allows you to connect an XLR <laughs> microphone through the eighth inch mini jack. So I guarantee what I'm going to show as soon as I get this camera, what I'm going to test. And then if it works, what I'm going to show on for, for TWIP is we're going to take a beach tech box, which basically lets you take two pro audio inputs and pop them in. And then they convert to stereo for an eighth inch jack. And I'm going to put that on the bottom of my, of my Canon and so, you know, now you can have professional labs, professional shotguns, professional everything else um, being funneled into your camera. And when it comes to doing those kind of luscious, uh, like when you watch like a Ken Burns documentary, and right now I'm kind of moving through the, the war uh, by Ken Burns, and you see these luscious interviews with people where the, the, the depth of field is really, really short, um, and they just look great. You, you'll be able to do those with one of these cameras, you know, and, and that's the thing that I think is... Uh, you know, fascinating, you know, is, is, uh, being able to do that kind of really kind of artsy, real, um, luscious shooting. And as I said, it, it'll, it'll be a little bit compressed. Um, I think that the MP4 of what I've seen, you know, will posterize a little bit here and there on low light and in, um, a lot of where colors are the same or similar. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty exciting, you know, and, and, and I, I'm clear, uh, that, uh, you know, I found, I find it surprising that Nikon put it in the D90 and not in the D700 and the D3. You know, I, that, you know, everybody, you know, every camera company does something surprisingly not so smart with every camera. <laughs> and those cameras are near perfection. And, uh, and, and, and I have to admit that it was just one of those, the, the low light performance of the Canon was close enough for me. It, it's not as good. I don't think the stuff I've seen is as good uh, as the D700 or the D3, but it was close enough and combined with video I just saw from my production pipeline, I really needed to have that option. Um, it would have been a much harder decision if if uh, the D700 and the D3 had uh, had video. Yeah. So uh, I think there's been some very interesting kind of back and forth between Canon and, and Nikon here, and the fact that you know Nikon's going the route of putting it in a very inexpensive body. And uh, I, I, I kind of feels to me like maybe, you know, Canon had this plan for the 5D for quite a while, and Nikon kind of trumped them by tossing out a lower cost alternative. And, uh, you know, it makes you wish that there was the, like the new 50D from Canon also had some video capabilities on it. It's clearly that, you know, this is just getting started. We're going to see a yeah. ton of back and forth in, I think, really relatively short amount of time, you know. I, I think we're going to start seeing like one-year product cycles on all of these cameras for a while. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of people, you know, as soon as, as, soon as the, uh, the the new Canon was announced, the new 5D, people were like, you know, Frederick, are you gonna are you gonna switch to Canon? <laughs> Is Scott gonna switch back over to Canon now? You know, and I gotta say, you know, it, that camera is amazing from what I've seen and Vincent's video and all that stuff. It's just it's amazing, and I would love to have that feature in the D3 or the D700. But those two cameras have uh, have so much power in them, and I've only scratched the surface of what I can do. Yeah. with either one of those bodies to to even consider jumping over for one new shiny object and a new camera is is crazy you know and i'm well, it, I'm, it's, I'm confident it's, that nikon is you know they're not they're not sitting there like ostriches with their head in there in in the ground either you know and it depends on what kind of photography you do because just just like you fred i got all those emails scott are you gonna switch back scott are you gonna switch back <laughs> uh, you know here's the thing if the 5d mark ii had 52 focusing points and nine frames per second i'd think about it but it's got nine focusing points and five frames a second. And for me as a wildlife photographer, it doesn't matter how good it is. I am interested in it as a video camera. 
And I kind of think that segues into our poll, by the way, Alex, which is, you know, are you interested in a DSLR that contains, you know, that shoots high quality video? The answers are yes, no, uh, maybe, and not sure. So I think it, I, I am interested to find out if our audience is interested. Now, I know some of them have already put comments on the blog saying they couldn't care less. They just want a still camera. But I have to say, I was very impressed with the video and assuming that that was all real, um, which, we, we, which we will do, uh, then, you know, Hey, it's that's why I wanted to ask you all these questions about the video capability. If I was going to drop twenty five hundred bucks, well, I'll tell I, you right now: the, the day it ships, I'm going to have one. Well, I, I, know. Know. And, I know, and we'll we'll do we're going to be shooting video with it. The you know the, the day after that. <laughs> well, good. I'll let you test it and then tell me yeah. if I should get one. Yeah, no, it's I'm 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 uh, I'm I, I've kind of it took me. You know, I was really I mean literally I was gonna I was just gonna wait to make sure that Canon didn't do anything during Photokina. And then I was going to move on and buy a, a, a D700. And uh, and I was like, ah. And then I saw it. And the problem is, is just it's just it, it has a lot to do with the way I do photography, that I always have a video and a still camera with me. Yeah. I never shoot long form. I'm always shooting, um, you know, three minutes, eight minutes of footage. And so. Well, yeah, it's yeah. perfect for someone like you. I mean, the kind of work I've seen you do. You know, the kind of photography I've seen you do, which is a lot of portraiture and, uh, you know, not stuff that requires that you, you know, have nine frames a second and right. your your need to do video. I can see that this camera is going to meet a lot of people's needs. There's just absolutely no doubt about it. Now, what we want to do is just we want to see the proof in the pudding because, um, you know, we want to make sure that all this stuff works and that there are no other issues. I'm, I'm reminded of the, the main reason I started looking to switch out of Canon, which was the announcement of the 1D Mark III with all of its autofocus problems. And Canon never really head on addressed those issues, in my opinion, uh, to this day. Well, and I think so the, the other thing that I have is the other side, the one, the, the one other thing that kind of keeps me, that always has had me shade towards Canon is this ability to be able to, uh, have an SDK, and I think that Nikon needs to come around on that as well. Actually, I think I think you need to know that there is an SDK available from Nikon. Uh, freely Alex. available, like anybody I, I, can get it. I I, th I think it. I, I think it's. It may not be freely available. But I think it's pretty available. We got a several right. emails after our show where we mentioned that where people were saying, "I've got one." All right, because so I asked Nikon. Find I, out. I sent an email to Nikon every three months for two years trying to get that SDK, and that's well, when I dropped the camera. <laughs> so here's what I want to do then. I want to crowdsource this. To all of you who sent me an email saying that Alex was wrong about the SDK, yeah. put up or shut up. Give me some data. Give me an email yeah. and the address. Give me a phone number. Show me how that SDK is available, and we'll put this to bed. Because that's been a real problem. Because if you know, there's a lot of um, complex stuff that we want to do that I haven't done. But I always look at if I'm going to buy these cameras, I want to be able to do very complex um, shooting, and I can do certain things with a, um, a, a if I can write the software that will control it. And I've seen stuff written um, uh, written for the the Canon um, that is pretty fascinating you know and and uh you know very custom code that controls the canon you just couldn't do for an icon at least when i was when we were looking at it so if we're wrong we'd love to know but but that's been another so it's been the combination of the movies the iso high high iso being close enough and the sdk were the three things that kind of led me to it so we'll be we'll be showing more of that camera as soon as it comes out i'm gonna uh, get in there and uh and just wait for it to show up but uh I'm pretty excited about it. So, uh, also as a just to follow up on the polls, uh, favorite area in the U.S. Uh, to take pictures, uh, it was pretty even, uh, being uh, northeast, northwest, and southwest. Those were the southwest was the uh, the number one, the winner, which uh, isn't yeah. a surprise with you know places like Monument Valley and right. you know Slot Canyons, Canyon de Chez. But I'm glad to see the Northwest was competitive. We're up there next. Uh, yes, yes. And then the Mount Rainier, Olympic National Park, etc. Right, and then followed by the uh, the Northeast. And I'd, the, I'd be interested ahead. to know what, what, what Brinkman says about uh, shooting in Los Angeles versus shooting in Seattle. <laughs> I find it interesting <laughs> that, uh, you know, where I grew up in the Midwest is down about at the bottom there. <laughs> <laughs> Not, a, not that surprising to me, I not suppose. Not that he's bitter or anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good things to take. I, I remember driving through Kansas and taking lots of big fields. It's gorgeous. Lots of fields, but you kind of get tired of fields after a while. Some good, <laughs> there's some good barns. I've got some good barn photos from back in the day. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I grew up on a farm, and so most of our when we were driving across uh, Kansas, uh, most of our uh, driving was competition on who could guess what we were, what kind of animal we were, were going to see over the next hill based on uh, the air quality. 
So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be like uh, Angus cow, uh, dairy. Uh, oh no, chickens! Anyway, so <laughs> coming up, chickens. Anyone who smelled chickens will understand what I know. I, I've smelled them. I know exactly Ooh, what you're saying, Nelly. So, um, so anyway, we have uh, the photokina wrap up here. Uh, this is uh, we're going to kind of cover all the things or, or many of the. The, uh, um, the the final releases that happened uh, between our last show and this show. Uh, one of them, Nick uh, releases Define as an Aperture plugin. So this is um, something that adds debanding control. Uh, Scott, have you tried this yet? I haven't got it yet, but um, the debanding control is a new thing. And uh, there's a couple of features in the Photoshop-only version, and there's a couple of features in the Aperture version. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's sort of like a, a coin toss. A lot of people like Define. A lot of people like Noise Ninja. I, I'll have them both, and I'm going to do a side-by-side comparison. But with this announcement, Nick completes its suite of plugins being available for Aperture. In fact, they're even bundling them in response to some of this stuff being kind of spendy because that's the rub against Nick is some of their stuff is a little expensive. I use it all. I love it. But uh, it, it's it's interesting. It was released for uh, Photoshop as well as for Aperture. Fantastic. Do you know what the bundled price is for all of the Nick stuff? It's like $5.99, I believe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's still spendy, but I've seen some nice results out of it. Yeah, I, I use it religiously. Also released, uh, this, uh, I have to admit, I'm pretty excited about it. I really want to play with. Uh, this is the Lens Baby announces the composer. So um, now Lens Baby, to, uh, to make sure we're under full disclosure, is a sponsor of uh, Twip Photo. Um, and uh, it became a sponsor because a lot of us were using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, we uh, were talking about this long before they were a sponsor. Yeah, I mean, I just love, I love my Lens Baby. But as, and, uh, as a good sponsor, they could certainly let us try out the new... Uh, New composers. Well, yes. well, you know, they've only got like two. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, what's interesting about this is that they, they've kind of radically changed what they were doing. And, uh, you know, one of the big problems that people had with the old Lens Baby was you kind of had to hold it in place. Right. But, but now this new, uh, new design allows you to do more traditional barrel-style uh, focusing. And you can also uh, replace the lens elements, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, and the the there's still an old kind of I can't remember what it's called, but it's the they still kept the older design, um, which has the little arms going out that you can lock in place and so on and so forth. And then they have another one that's called the Muse, which is really the way I use it. I I tend to use it, which is I wouldn't really lock it into place. I would just kind of get it to where I want it and fire, and uh, and not ever really uh, you know uh, lock the lock the lens baby up and so now they have a version that's really designed for people who shoot like that um which is i think called the muse and um and then they have this composer which the composer looks really really cool so people do wanting to have a lot of fun uh that's going to be definitely one that um yeah i think they kind of went you know previous to this they were just sort of new generations like new models but i think they kept selling the old models pretty well because it was certainly a price thing i think they decided well you know let's stop pretending that we're coming out with new versions so much as we have a product line now and it's it's kind of nice yeah has has anyone played with uh on one's focal point plugin that that sort of simulates what you can do with a with a lens baby but not exactly i haven't yeah it's actually pretty cool you you basically it's just it's sort of a, a gaussian blur or or focal blur on on steroids where you can adjust the focal plane on your image itself but it actually does a pretty good job of it yeah, well, we should definitely. Uh, I, I think Fred. I think the argument there is sort of the same one for panoramas. I mean, Photoshop now does a just tremendous job of stitching panoramas together, and so a lot of people think, you know, well, there's no need for a panoramic camera, but there is something right. to be said for standing in the field and getting that vision all at once. Mm-hmm. And I think for me that I mean, because I got to tell you, when they first announced Lens Baby on day one, they came to my office because they're in Portland and I'm up here in Gig Harbor. And they were showing it to me, and my first question was, well, I can do that in Photoshop. But they, they made a solid argument for being able to do it in the field, and that's what sold me on it. And I've been using them since day one, version one, version two, version three, and now I'll be with the new version. Uh, well, I know it, it, it affects the way I shoot. Like, it, it affects the way I shoot. You know, what I'm trying, the way I frame, the way I shoot, the way I approach the project when, I have, when I'm looking through that lens. And I think it, I definitely get a something, because people have, often said I could do that in post and and my thing is is that I just I find that I shoot differently 
um, based on having the lens in front of it. And, and uh, I really, I don't think you can do it. I mean, you know, to do it right in post, you've got to do a whole lot of sort of matte cutting. And, you know, you want to isolate objects that are closer to, you know, the, the typical hack in post is to just sort of have this gradiated blur. But that's not the way it works in the real world where, you know, an object that's closer is going to obviously, you know, be in a different focal plane. So right, uh, right. without doing a whole lot of work, it's hard to get a very accurate equivalent in post. Yeah. Also in the news, we have uh, the software camera allies, uh, software and camera allies to uh, ease the photo data pain. So this is Canon, Adobe, uh, Apple, Microsoft, Sony, and Nokia have banded together and released a, the first set of guidelines that attempts to standardize some of the issues that can crop up as metadata travels from cameras to computers to software to websites. Now, Ron, I mean, uh, Frederick, do you have any any inside information for us here? No, I, you know, I don't. Um, I know that a couple of people on my team or the team that I'm a member of um, are are actually working directly with Apple and the metadata metadata working group to to sort of ratify that and and make sure that all the companies are working together in tandem. Um, but right. myself, I am not not directly involved with it. And a lot of this is, is kind of trying to tie together. You have basically three formats. You have uh, EXIF data, you have IPTC data, you have Adobe's XMP data, uh, and so the idea is, how do we get all of these to make sure that they everything passes from one to the next uh, effectively? So, so um, hopefully, uh, we're going to um, get more information about that. As, uh, it, as it's it, interesting, as it's inter- it's interesting. We keep hearing the word metadata over and over again. I mean, we were talking oh, about it at the about. beginning of the show, and it's it, it keeps rearing its head. You know, so uh, it, it's clear that going forward, metadata and and uh, information that describes other information is going to be key. Well, yeah, it's just that I think what people are running into uh, in a lot of ways is uh, they're just dealing with this um, incredibly painful situation of they have all these photos, they can't find their way through them. And uh, we've got to find better ways to search through that 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 information and um, and keep that information and keep it, you know, or you save it out of something and now all the data is gone. Uh, and so figuring out ways to do that. Now, some of this, of course, you know, we, we'd like to be able to get rid of some of that data more effectively as well. So being able to have control of it, I mean, that's what caught Microsoft uh, with the last <laughs> ad campaign that they had where it showed up that they were using Macs. And so, um, uh, <laughs> to produce sorry, that. I just get a kick out of that. <laughs> just, and while that, that, that you know, it, it's one of those things that where, where people figured that out was in the metadata. So just having it, just having that metadata more close, closer to the surface and more editable, I think is the important thing. Um, and not having it. So, uh, it's kind of a mystical art at right now to get to all of it. So, um, so anyway, hopefully that, uh, we're going to see a lot of progression in that area. Uh, also at Photokino, we had a 3d, Photos, Ron. Can you give us a little information about this? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of it, it's not it's not yet a product. This is Fujifilm announced so a couple cool. of things, but yeah, it's pretty neat. It's uh, Fujifilm announced a couple of things. They announced a new sensor as well, but they they talked about this. I guess they're calling it the real 3D camera, and it's a, a stereo still camera. So it's got two lenses, you know, two matched lenses on the front that allow you to take the two separate viewpoints, just like your eyes do. Uh, and the thing they did that's, that's smart is they recognize, of course, that just having two photos uh, as a stereo pair doesn't really get you a whole lot unless you can look at them. So the the thing that they were talking about, and again, it's not a product yet, is not only the camera having the two lenses in front, but it's got a special LCD in the back display that gives you a, a stereo view of what you've just taken the picture of. It uses this sort of prismatic uh, LCD display that you see on some televisions are starting to show up. But you can see it in, in, in stereo. And then I think the plan from what, just looking over this just this announcement is that they're going to offer, you know, like picture frames that can display a 3D photo. So it's certainly the start of stuff. And we're seeing a lot more 3D in the, in the film industry. But, you know, I, I could see some of this starting to show up on as still photos, too. I'm excited. This is a little bit too geeky uh, to go too far into. But I, what I'm excited about is being able to uh, combine this with photogrammetry. So being able to take... A single photo and be able to derive three. Wait, a little bit too geeky. <laughs> I just had to say it. I just did, had did to you say mean it. a whole bunch. Are we going to start saying the node word here pretty soon? No, no. That I was just going to say that for some of our geeky listeners, and then I'm going to move on. Well, I mean, that, to to, I to, to be very about. explicit about what that that does by you. I mean, you know, without throwing around terms like photogrammetry, what having two different 
views of a scene means that you can start to understand depth information, which means that conceivably you can start doing things in post, like adjusting depth of field that you couldn't do before. So it would take what Fred, Frederick was talking about earlier, which is the um, being able to do kind of what the lens baby's doing and really do it. <laughs> do it <laughs> you know, accurately. You, yep. you know, really do it accurately. Really be able to have the information that you needed uh, by being able to understand where where everything is by using the parallax between the two the the two pieces, so it's uh, could be very interesting. You know, we're 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 actually taking steps in that direction right now. Not to sound like a, uh, a, a myopically focused here, but the uh, with CS4, one of the Photoshop CS4, one of the features in there, Alex, I think you know about this, is being able to load multiple images into a stack that were that are focused on different portions or have different depth of field depth of field settings within an image and then merge them together to make one dynamically sort of all in focus image so yeah. basically basically giving you extended depth of field and the ability to create images that you couldn't create before yeah which is uh, a fascinating uh, process. It actually works exceptionally well. I, I still think that we're going to see in five years a camera where you're not going to have a single sensor, single lens kind of thing, but you're going to have a small array of, you know, I don't know, 10 by 10 smaller lenses that capture the image that way, automatically stitch it together, but keep a whole lot of extra information in there as well. And we're seeing some of that. I mean, when you go to somewhere like Seagraph, which is kind of geek fest, you're starting to see some of that appear. Uh, you know, people experimenting and thinking about those problems right now. Also, uh, coming out of here, a hundred gigabyte compact flash card. Holy, keep all your eggs in one basket, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so this is Pretech. Uh, Pretech has uh, has released sixty four gigabyte and a hundred gigabyte. Uh, CF cards. This is the highest capacity in the world, and um, and it is. It's got a read write speed of fifty megabytes per second, uh, which is megabytes, not megabits, but uh, megabytes. It's fast. Um, yeah, and and uh, so it's they're very fast cards, um, as well as being extremely large. Uh, these are uh, the sixty fours. They're not. No one. I don't think I have dates on the the hundred gigabyte ones. The it looks like the sixty four gigabyte um, are six hundred and thirty dollars. Mm. And like so, a, a um, wedding photographer could shoot like you know three weddings in a weekend and put them card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you have to explain to him if you lose the card uh, <laughs> that uh, well you know it was cutting edge. It was cutting edge. So. Um, but when are no, we going to start seeing dual compact flash slots in a camera? So you just have a little raid array and you don't have this, you know, extreme concern of what if one of my cards go bad? We have you, that you mean, right now. You mean like the D3? Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> you can, so then it's not dual compact flash though, right? It's, yes, uh, it is. Oh, yes, I thought it was, it was one of each. No, okay. that's the no. Canon. That's the Canon 1DS ah, mark. Ah, right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so the... Uh, um, but, uh, you know, these these really, really high capacity, I mean, it really is exciting. I mean, you really could take a whole trip. I think on an average trip, it's 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 unusual for me to shoot more than, uh, on an average trip to Africa, I have to admit, I don't usually shoot more than 100 gigabytes of of, uh, of images. And so uh, th- that's quite a process, especially when you talk about photographers who want to just have one that is part of the camera. Um, you know, these are pretty exciting. You know, storage is continuing to become uh, less. And what I really want to do is throw one of those, you know, take five of those and put them together and make a raid out of them anyways. <laughs> be very exciting. Uh, now, here's a Sigma has released yet another camera. Uh, Sigma's always, you know, Sigma is just, they're always thinking outside the box, sometimes too far outside the box. Um, <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> sometimes they don't know where the box is. Um, the uh, but they have a 14 megapixel high definition camera, uh, packing a full. This is according to uh, DP review. And we'll put a, a, a link in the uh, in the in the show notes. Um, it's a full DSL DSLR body in a compact camera. Um, so this is a this is using the Foveon, and I have to admit, I really want to. I really want to get a hold of an uh, of a of a Foveon, a Sigma camera just to test the Foveon uh, because I, when I talk to people who have used it they they're very happy with the quality of the images but but I haven't been able to do kind of a head to head uh check of um of what this looks like it's they're not it says 14 megapixel this is of course what they're doing is saying well it's you know it's basically um uh, four megapixels in, in a lot of ways, uh, but there are three layers of them, and, and say you know that that's how they kind of um, you know figure that out. It, 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 they're saying it's truly you know what uh, what the process is, um, and uh, they're supposed to be very very sharp. But uh, what do you guys think of this camera? 
Well, the weird thing about it, so it's, it's a point-and-shoot body, but it's got a fixed lens on it. <laughs> it's not a zoom lens. It's just a fixed, I think, like a 41-millimeter lens or something. Right. So, I mean, it's uh, it's very much a... <laughs> it takes a certain sort of discipline to use a camera like this, I guess. I, I do admit that, I, you know, because if, if I'm just going to grab my camera and take it out, I often just assume... I just take my 50 with me. And so I'm kind of used to having that sing, that fixed lens experience if I'm if I'm just going out to a little something or other and I just want to... I don't want to have a bunch of lenses with me. Um, you know, I tend to have one that I feel like I'm going to get these great, you know, kind of great... Uh, short depth of field and, and if, if money was no object i would agree this would be a great one to have around but to spend you know a few yeah. hundred bucks on something that is you know you, you can take that 50 off if you have to right but right you know on this camera you can't do that so and, and they're not super cheap either i don't i think they're actually a fairly pricey um yeah uh, piece you know so it's not like you know it isn't like you really have to believe in it <laughs> well you know and and we have not been given these cameras to test, but right. reading the tests from others, there's a consistent message of, you know, there's problems converting the raw, uh, the menus and interfaces are terribly clunky. Right. Um, you know, it's their their lenses are, are, are getting better and better. And um, in fact, I, I just ordered the replacement for my old 3 to 800. I'm getting the 3 to 800 DG. Right. which is their second largest zoom in the world now that I, I haven't decided to spend the money for the 500 to 1000 because it weighs too much but right um, the lenses are really getting good but yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking they should stick with lenses <laughs> 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 just my two cents now on the other side of this uh, I mean uh, is Leica uh, traditionally a uh, film uh, standard uh, for a lot of people and, and and known for their fixed lenses and known for their uh, their small cameras has released a 37.5 megapixel camera and this is really a uh, it's a medium you know it's 30 by 45 millimeter uh, sensor built into a 35 millimeter size body so it's really designed to create you know uber pictures right uh, and uh, and it's the price is crazy you know the price is um their price you know, i didn't see a price on there oh i think it's like 20 grand or thirty thousand dollars sure or something like there. that yeah it's up there i mean it's, it's it's comparable for that style of camera right i mean for, for those quote-unquote medium format cameras or or the, the you know the high high resolution cameras um they're kind of going it looks like leica's really trying to take you know really look at the high end and not try to compete in this kind of sub ten thousand range do we think it's going to work? I don't, you know, I, I, it's, it's not my world, so I can't say, you know, where, where does that fall relative to the other medium format stuff? I'm not even sure, you know, I always sort of, well, I don't know, I mean, it's weatherproofed, so it's obviously designed for some outdoor work, and, uh, you know, it looks pretty. That's about all I can say right now. Scott, can you imagine yourself using it for, um, for wildlife photography? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I can't. Um, you know, I... I've I've become so addicted to you know nine frames a second and you know uh, the, can you I mean can you imagine what a three to eight hundred lens would have to look like on that body? Right. Yeah. I I mean you'd have to have a Volkswagen to mount it on. Right. <laughs> it's it's just not very practical and in, in wildlife photography focal length is the most important thing. I mean, you know we're shooting it at five, six, seven, eight hundred millimeters on a regular basis. That's like, somebody asked me the other day, what's your walk around lens? And I said a 600. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like, I mean, you got the 50, I got the 600. I mean, it's just a different kind of photography. You have to have stuff. I mean, there are a few people who do, you know, some amazing work with medium format cameras, but it's mostly animal portraiture, working right. under controlled conditions. You know, you're not going to get anything in the wild with something like that. Right. I mean, if somebody does, I'd sure love to see it. Yeah. No, I think it, I think for you know, and that's what these medium format. You're looking at people doing portraits, people doing you know that type of thing. I think that's going to be uh, part of that process. So those are some of the things that we saw going um, up to uh, wrapping up from Photokina, and uh, it was a, a pretty good show, I have to say. I mean, I you know, I didn't go, but I mean, it it, it definitely. Um, it inspired people to release some pretty nifty things. So, um, so hopefully, I guess it's two more years, right, before we see another Photokina. Yep, yep, every two years. But and we do have uh, in PMA. October twenty third, we've got what used to be called Photo East. Right. Uh, I don't even know what they call it again. I still think the, of it as Photo East. It's Photo Photo Plus Expo. 
Thank you. Thank you, Fred. We used to have Photo East and Photo West. They killed Photo West, so now you got to go clear to New York. But that's that's, uh, October 23rd through 25th. And it's always a little weak that year when it's the same year as Photokina. It's a little bit stronger in the in-between years, but that's the next big show. And then then PMA is in the spring, right? PMA's in spring, and uh, I'm def. We, we will, you know, I will definitely be at, at PMA. I'm toying with going to, you know, Photo Plus, but I, I'm not sure. Do we have dates on PMA? I don't have them off the top of my head, but I've oh. already got my press credentials, so I'm going to be there. March third uh, through the fifth. Yeah, yeah, and I'll I'll be at both as well. So if, uh, yeah. if folks want to swing by the Adobe booth and say hello, yeah, I probably I'm probably going to try to go to PMA. I'm going to uh, South by Southwest is right after it. So I know well, if we if we get speak. at least three of us at any of these, we ought to do a live show from there. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. I I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, just a uh, quick Steve re- will, Steve will be at uh, Photo East as well. Okay, well let's uh, let's figure out a way to to have you guys do it live live from the uh, live from the location from live. New York from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, to remind everybody, of course, that uh, that this uh, show is made possible is uh, is uh, supported um, uh, by Drobo, and um, I am I am knee deep in Drobos right now. Actually, I am <laughs> finishing <laughs> knee deep, like literally. There's Drobos all over uh, the floor. Now we've been. Um, I uh, I just got a bunch of new drives to fill up some more Drobos. I'm um, I'm finishing up my. Uh, I finally got my new TV, and I'm finishing up all my home. Uh, my, uh, you know, finishing up the, the sink, um, that's taking me a long time. Uh, it mostly had to do with me collecting all of my data cause it was, and, uh, so I've gotten all that, uh, into one Drobo. I'm, I'm mirroring, mirroring that to another Drobo. So I'll have these all separated, um, soon I'll separate the two Drobos from each other. Um, and then, but they'll get to talk every night. So we're going to have them R syncing and, um, and, uh, it is, uh, it's great. Now you, you do, does everyone here have a Drobo? I don't. I I, I have two. I'm, <laughs> I'm no I'm nowhere near marinating like you are. <laughs> you know, you guys with a few knee deep in robos could just send one down my way. Right. Now you know I because I've been up in Seattle so much, and my big machine is down here in, in Hermosa Beach, where all my data is at. So I sort of haven't been in, haven't taken the time to keep it organized. And I came back this week, and one of the power supplies on one of the drives is is not doing well. So consequently, one of the drives is not doing well. I'm like, oh, I gotta get a drobo. And you are therefore, you are therefore not feeling droopy. Feeling non-droopy. Well, you know, it, I have four now. I don't know, Alex. Now, do you bias. have the FireWire? I have, I have six. I got two FireWire. <laughs> I got two FireWire and two USB. I uh-huh. use the two USB as my vault and aperture or backup and you know whatever system you use your backup. And then I use the FireWires as my main drive, which means that per usb firewire combo i technically have four copies of my photo library so that's kind of cool good um i do want to give a tip alex can i give a tip give a tip a drobo tip give a this drobo is tip. this doesn't count as a photo tip this is just a drobo <laughs> tip uh but when you're using a drobo on a mac uh because of the way os 10 likes to flush its buffers and all that kind of stuff uh you know just just move go to drobo share which is the free application that comes with drobo and just move into standby mode when you disconnect or dismount because that allows os 10 to do all the stuff that's supposed to do uh you know it's not going to necessarily ruin or anything if you don't do it it's just cleaner and it's easier to get it to show up Uh, if you do it a lot you'll eventually get to the point where you can't mount the disc without something like disc warrior so just remember go into standby mode it's right there on the the little panel it's no big deal and then you're you're safe to do whatever you want if it were to fail without doing that that's different it, it's it it would it would automatically self-heal it's when you just turn it off without doing that that you have problems because of the way os 10 likes to do the buffer thing so that's the tip excellent that's a very good tip and um the uh my tip is also to, i mean i think we've talked about this before is make sure that you give it enough uh, headroom remember that these drives are getting bigger i mean i don't really put anything less than one terabyte in well know, my one drive, and a know? half terabyte drives have been ordered Ooh, nelly that's a lot of storage that's all i gotta say so i'm so um, definitely that'll give me six instead of four um which means i'll have four backed up instead of three excellent and now you can go up to, uh, you can get $25 off a purchase of Drobo, uh, um, uh, the uh, USB-only Drobo, uh, or the second-generation FireWire and USB. Is there a coupon code? Just got to go to drobo.com slash twip, as in This Week in Photography, twip. So, so definitely check that out. Now, that's, we don't know how long that's going to be, but that's for right now, that's the deal, and it's something we've worked out just for twip 
listeners. And, and so we know it'll work for the next week. It'll work for like a couple of weeks at least. I mean, I'm trying to get them to do it on a consistent basis. Uh, so far, they seem very uh, happy to work with our audience. And a lot of our audience has responded because Drobo said we want to hang around a while. Yeah, perfect. And that's the with all the sponsors that we've had so far with uh, with uh, Twip is that usually we we've been using them a lot longer than they've been sponsors. So um, we're very excited to have uh, have Drobo yeah. supporting. Yeah, us. for for the record, I was involved in using Drobo's products from the launch at MacWorld. Yeah, which was a good five months before they showed up here. Yeah. We we just people end up here because we we like them. So they like, uh, they like us because we use their stuff. We're not just pretending right. to. Exactly. So the. Uh, uh, we have got a couple questions uh, to to dig through here. Uh, we have one that is, uh, this is from Andy Anderson, and uh, he is asking: Is there a correct? Uh, uh, he said, "If uh, is there um, what he's asking? He said his wife has two lenses for her Canon Rebel and uh, changes between them often, and she has a lot of dust, lint, etc., on both." Uh, the filter and the lens itself um, is uh, is there any way you can what are our tips to keep that for, to a minimum uh, don't change lenses in a very dusty environment would be one good starting point change quickly yeah um, what are your it, I, I, I think facing I'm, down right Alex sorry, facing down now wait hang on a second except for us Nikon users Fred right <laughs> which is the Nikon users, the ones using D700 and D3, there's a little strip. And I may even be on some of the other uh, bodies before that. It's definitely on the D700 and D3. There's a little strip that you, when you change lenses in the normal fashion with the camera body perpendicular to your, your body, then the, it's designed so that the dust falls off the sensor down onto this little magnetic strip that holds it. Yep. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> I think I think can, Canons they have focused, that same Alex. strip, right? I think the Canons have the same sort of thing. Anything that has that sort of noise, or that little shake the sensor to knock the dust off thing, has some sort of an adhesive strip at the bottom. So yeah, maybe well, what, it, for all these what, cameras. What's interesting is the D3 does not have the shake the sensor deal, but does have the strip. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I'm trying to figure out right now is I. One of the things a lot of times we think that our sensors are okay, and then we uh, and then we shoot with a very uh, small you know aperture setting so i was i was shooting something at f22 and i suddenly realized how much dust was on my sensor and uh i was perturbed so uh uh so that's the um so you know a lot of it is trying to i'm i usually don't have too much dust only because i'm you know crazy about when i change my lenses generally uh one of the big things that i think we, we get a question of that's kind of related to this is is how do how do you suggest cleaning the front of your lens when, when it needs it mostly that I, I just i just breathe heavily on it and then use a microfiber cloth great and do you do you worry about the microfiber cloth picking up a lot of stuff that could scratch the lens itself well what i do is i first blow it off and then i do the the condensation thing and um that that usually is i mean i've been doing it that way for years i'm sure someone's going to write in and tell me how bad that is but I've been, <laughs> doing it, I've been doing it that way for decades and so far all my lenses work well so does anyone else have any uh any other input on that uh, I have a I have a question that I want to ask Scott um, or all you guys. So, I've heard conflicting information about whether whether it's good or not to have a skylight filter protecting your lens. I know it's <laughs> obviously it's good if you drop it, but in terms of image clarity and that sort of thing, do you, does it does it make sense to keep one on there with today's digital cameras? I vote heartily no. I think it's a, I think it's like the I think it's like the guys at Jiffy Lube telling you to change your oil every three thousand miles, even though your owner's manual says every twelve thousand is fine. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to sell you an extra. I mean, you just bought an L series piece of glass. Now spend seventeen ninety five and get yourself a brand new skylight filter. Who wants to put a piece of seventeen dollar <laughs> plastic over their L glass? The the lens hood will offer far more protection than the cheap lens filter in my opinion yeah it kind of you know it, i've seen some photo tests and in in an ideal scenario you really can't see the difference but we're not often shooting in an ideal scenario so particularly if you've got some sort of side light coming in that's going to cause flare that extra piece of glass is going to pick up more flare it's going to haze out the thing so i keep it on when i'm traveling and it's sort of a, a much more questionable kind of an environment just because it is protecting it somewhat but i'll you know unscrew it if i think the lighting conditions are are such that it's going to cause me a problem. I kind of have the same approach where I leave one on and then I, uh, I usually take it off if I'm going to take anything important, but I have it kind of generally on. So because what I don't really like is, is to have the lens cap on. So I usually have one that's, that I kind of consider, uh, 
disposable um, that I will, if I just want to pick up the camera and fire, um, it's that, you know, I, I was able to carry it around and, and fire something. But if I, as soon as I get serious about something, I usually take it off. Now that's really interesting. So using, using a skylight filter as a lens cap. That's what I use. I use the skylight filter as the lens cap. That's brilliant. That's cool. And so, so, and I usually put it on something soft. I try to keep it from getting scratched and I, you know, just kind of clean it off. But, and it's only there of just like, wow, something's happening. And I just, I can pick up my camera and start firing away. Um, uh, and I've had those situations <laughs> and, um, uh, but as soon as I, if I know I'm really going to, if I'm in a regular environment and I know that I'm going to take some photos I want to keep, I, unsc- I screw it off and put it in my pocket. Yeah. Cool. So that's how I approach it. Um, also, uh, we had a question. I think this kind of opens up to a larger question here, uh, is a, uh, uh this is um, from Robin Casper, and uh, it is for the benefit of other uh, photography super noobs like myself. Can you discuss white balance cards on uh, on the podcast? I don't believe I've heard any any discussions so far. I'm looking specifically at the YBAL. I guess that's at www.rawworkflow.com. And it would be uh, nice to hear some comparisons to other products. Uh, white balance is something that I sort of understand, but... Uh, in addition, uh, I need to know about when to shoot it. It gives me a headache at this point in her education. So um, that's the question. Um, Aaron, uh, who's not on the show today, uh, was talking about Expo Discs a little bit. Uh, my my big question related to this for, to this for all of you is, do you really care about this when you're shooting raw? It saves time if you do it in the field. And, and where it works for me and where I, I've done this is, I have a simple trick. If I'm shooting portraiture and I know the light's not going to change, I'll simply have the model hold a plain old white card right under her nose in the first image. Then whether I'm using Aperture or Lightroom or Photoshop, it doesn't matter. I can use a white balance uh, tool simply to click that and that says to the photo editing application, okay, this is the white in the room under this light and then you can apply that as a batch for instance in aperture you can use the you know the stamp tool to, to apply it to all the other images in photoshop you could create a batch of you know action to do it i mean there's all kinds of ways to do it and then you you know you got perfect white balance across the board so f- for things like that it does seem to help any other yeah, I, 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 you know, if like Scott, if I'm in a studio or a controlled environment, I, I would use a, you know, a, a target to shoot against, and then, you know, like Scott was saying in Lightroom, you can just click on the, click on the, on the white balance tool, sample the, the mid range, and then lock it in and sync the rest of the images, and that, that works great. And I can see how people shooting, say, weddings and things in varying conditions where they need to really get those images out into the lab quickly might want to forego that. But for other stuff, you know, like, like photo walking and that sort of thing, I'll just leave it, I don't, I don't really pay attention to it because I'm, I'm being creative anyway, and I'm not, it's not like I need to be exactly accurate to this color to temperature with this picture of a leaf you know yeah, exactly so. that's kind of the way i am i'll, I'll shoot you know i, I figure i'm gonna probably tweak color in post anyway a lot of times and so and you know the thing is generally if your lighting condition doesn't change you you come up with a white balance you like for uh, a particular location and then you can like scott said just cut and paste it the, the one thing i would say is if you are doing product photography um, for somebody who you know particularly has sort of a logo or some something where they've they're very particular about the color of the logo as part of their brand, part of their trademark. Then you need to make sure you're doing something like this so you can be accurate. One of the things that I use, I know, for a lot of the shoots that we have here is what's called either a Macbeth chart or a um, uh, when we need to be accurate uh, or a what's called a gray card plus, which is um, Kodak makes it. It's a very expensive piece of cardboard that has 18% gray and then a black and white. Um, and a lot of times those gives me those give me the information that I need. That one works pretty well. Or a little simple Macbeth chart um, allows me to make sure that the colors when I'm when I'm fixing them later are going to be exactly what I expect them to be. Um, and I know that when we're shooting stuff that we're, where the especially where the color has to be accurate, um, we we rely pretty heavily on a Macbeth chart to make. And it's just a big pattern. You can get different ones that have a handful of colors or 128 colors or you know tons of things. Um, but one of those, you know, if, especially if you're going to do a shoot all day of a product, um, a lot of times, I'll th- you know, or for us video, um, we'll throw that up there. And that's just a reality check. It's not, you know, we don't necessarily need to be tied to it, but it, it, it makes sure that we can go back and look at that and see if the corrections are really creating true colors. Um, next week, we are still working on it. We're going to bring somebody in, but we don't know who yet. We're working <laughs> on. So we, we'd like to tell you, but uh, we've got it's a couple secret. people. 
That's secret. It's secret. Uh, and uh, coming between the weeks, I don't think we're going to have anything between the weeks. I'm working on some videos on uh, panoramas and cleaning my sensor, which is going to happen soon. And uh, But I don't think it's going to be done next week. I think it's going to be Well, now that time. I'm done with all my travels for a while, I'm going to try to make a couple of videos. But I, I was between Alaska and the Tetons, I was a little bit busy. Yes. Uh, do we have any tips for the week? Does anyone have a, a tip to volunteer for the week? I have one, but I'm going to let somebody else make one if they want. Scott, I think you should use yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I I'll use my lifeline? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. I know what that's referring. We're not going to get yep. into it. Um, <laughs> Let's uh, leave that one alone. <laughs> thank you for giving me a good laugh, though. Um, here's a tip, and it's really, really simple. Um, it, it's a little less relevant for digital in some ways, but I still use it. Uh, if you want to really get perfect exposures, take lots of shots and take meaningful notes. Now, I realize everyone's saying, but wait a minute, all that stuff's in the EXIF data. Why do you need to take notes? Well, what's not in the EXIF data is the fact that, you know, there was a big cloud blocking the sun over your shoulder, or you took this in September at noon, or 3 p.m. or 5 p.m., and you want to see what it looks like in March. So taking notes, copious notes, which is what the master Ansel Adams did over a long period of time, will, will help you perfect things like exposure and, and help you to understand what does and doesn't work over time, particularly when that same information is then referenced against your EXIF data. So that's my tip. Carry a little teeny, you know, notebook and, uh, and, and write down some stuff uh, about each job. It doesn't have to be about each photograph, although if you're a real artiste, you might want to do that. But if you're going to go out into the wilderness and spend three days at the Tetons, each day you might just do a quick, you know, in the morning, here's what the light looked like. Here's the angle of the sun. Uh, you know, here's what my exposure was. I, I did this or that. Uh, it just helps you make better photos over time. Now, if you, if, you had, if you had voice recognition and you were able to put that and have that converted to metadata, you could just be just... Yeah, and several of the high-end cameras do have the ability, such as the D3, to record your voice, and you can accomplish the same thing that way. And some people carry a little voice recorder. Uh, whatever you want to do. The main idea, though, is to keep some kind of notes to, to help you figure out what did and didn't work, and, and particularly if you want to be able to repeat your success. Uh, and, and, and for me, I, I do it for scouting. I mean, we were at, we were at the Tetons uh, this week, and the last time I was in the Tetons was 20 years ago. And lo and behold, I dug around and found my old notebook. And sure enough, it had all my notes on the Mormon row barns and how there was a little, you know, framing possibility. I could stand a subject in an in a old barn cutout and have them framed perfectly against the South Teton. And I got there and there it was. So it was just nice to have that stuff to refresh me. Excellent. Scott, where, where can people find you? ScottBorn.com. Oh, we're on the Twitter at ScottBorn. And then, of course, the Aperture Nature Workshops. The shortcut to that's F64.com. Ron, Ron, Ron Brinkman. Ron Brinkman on Twitter. R-O-N-D-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Yep. Two N's. Frederick. People can find me at Adobe, adobe.com slash Lightroom, or on my little blog at frederickvan.com, also on Twitter under the same name. Excellent. Until next week, you can put that lens cap right back on. <laughs> <laughs>